Let's go to God's Word. We're in um, week three of Battleborn. Has this series been a blessing to anybody? Has it been helping you? All right, so we're in week three. We've got two more weeks after this. Um, but I want to look at verse 34, 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. We're going to read a few verses together. And um, this is the story of David and Goliath, and we're finding uh, parallels to our own life and how we can learn from it and build our own faith. Verse 34, David said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, and when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I club it to death. I've done this to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. Psalm 23, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. One more time, verse 36 says, I've done this to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. I want to preach from the subject, a miracle memory, a miracle memory. Help me preach real quick. Find someone around you and uh, let them know, tell them this. I have a miracle memory. Can you tell them that? I have a miracle memory. I have a miracle memory. Father, help me now to preach this word, and uh, Lord, build our faith. This really isn't as much a study of the life of David and Goliath, but rather it is a a study of our own lives and our own faith. So increase our faith. Um, Show us where you are in the story and where we are in the story so that our lives can move forward in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. And amen and amen. So let me review just a little bit. We've, we've learned so far that there is a promised place for the people of God, that there is a promised land for the people of God. Just like God promised the nation and the land to Israel, God has promised a place to the church. Hebrews 4 tells us there is a rest, there is a place, there is a Sabbath, there is a, a, a rest for the people of God. There is a John 10.10 life for you and for me. John 10.10 says that Jesus has come to give me a life and a life more abundantly. This is the promise of God to you and to me, an abundant life, a big life, an expansive life, a growing life, a life that the book of Proverbs would say that the, that the life of the righteous person is getting brighter and brighter, not darker and darker, not smaller and smaller, but it's getting brighter and it's getting brighter. It's getting larger and it's getting larger. This is the life God has for you. But for every promised land, there are giants that rise up to take our faith and steal our courage from inheriting everything God has for us. So the Bible says that we inherit the promises of God, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. We inherit the promises of God just like the saints of the Old Testament did. Here's how they did it. By faith and patience. That to have the life you want is going to take faith and patience. You don't casually enter into the promised land. It's going to take faith. It's going to take patience. It's going to take guts. It's going to take determination. It's going to take something in you that is diligent and radical about your life, about the future God has for you, and about the purpose of God in your life. So let me remind you of what a giant is. A giant is the thing the enemy has assigned to distract you, discourage you, and deter you from inheriting everything God has 
for you. Just from that uh, definition right there, how many have ever faced a giant? Y'all know what I'm saying. We're not talking about just a big person that stood in front of you. We're talking about a spirit from the enemy that is that has tried to stop you from inheriting the promises of God. And so today I want to talk about a miracle memory. Here's point number one. To have a miracle memory, remember we choose a miracle memory or a victim mentality. Miracle memory or victim mentality. David said in verse 36, I've done this to lions and bears. I'll do it to this giant. David said, I've been training for reigning. That everything in my life has been a setup for this moment. That everything that I've gone through has actually been a setup for me to see the greatest breakthroughs I've ever seen in my life. David looked at Goliath, notice this, he looked at Goliath and then he looked back at his life. And he found faith for the moment by the faithfulness of his God. Just understand this, that if you can look back and see God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness will release faith for you to do whatever is in front of you. That if you don't see God's faithfulness in your past, you will never have faith in your present or faith for your future. So everything is connected. Your past, your present, and your future are always connected. And there must always be a healthy outlook on what has been, on what is coming, and where you are now. Because if any one of those is out of whack, you will not be able to see the manifestation of God's promise in Jesus' name. And so so I want to ask you this question. What has God ever done in your life? Because what he has done, he will continue to do. If you ever want to know what he's about to do, just look at what he's already done. If you want to know how he's about to move, just look at how he's always moved. David was able to see the faithfulness of God in the lion and in the bear It was a new obstacle, it was a new giant, it was a new spirit that was coming against him, but he was serving the same God. New issue, same God. New giant, same God. New trouble, same God. So it doesn't really matter what comes against me. I can look back in my history, see the faithfulness of God and go, this ain't nothing. Victory leads to victory. Victory leads to victory. Victory is contagious. Victory is like a snowball. Victory grows. As as you think about one victory, it gives you courage for the next victory. But now listen to me, friend. We either choose to look back and focus on the pain or we choose to see God's faithfulness. So I said it like this, miracle memory or victim mentality, but you can't have both. You can't have both. You don't get to have a miracle memory and a victim mentality at the same time. Now, I'm not saying that what I'm about to talk about is easy, but what I am saying is it's the only way to inherit the promises of God, okay? Because where you're going isn't always easier, it's just better, and it isn't always the most convenient. It's just the best way. The God way is not always the easiest way. It's just the best way. But, but you're going to have to reject a victim mentality. Now listen, David could have had a victim mentality. Because David came from a broken home. A lot of people don't think about these things. But um, when, when Samuel goes to anoint David as king, David comes up over the hill. And Samuel goes, 
oh man, he don't, you don't look like, you don't look like the seven other brothers that I just prayed for. And then he looks at Jesse and he goes, yo, Jesse, what's up? And Jesse goes, keep moving, prophet. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. Because David was the half-brother of his brothers. So uh, Saul, Samuel says, he's, he's ruddy. Now, we don't understand that word. That's not a modern word. Ruddy means red, but it means like dirt red. I'm saying this because it, David didn't come over the, the hill looking like Conor McGregor. He, it wasn't like an Irishman, Okay. It's a, it's a red like a horse can, that dark red that a horse can be, or, or dark red skin like an Indian from India can be. David had dark skin. So Samuel says, yo, why, why is his skin dark? And, and Jesse goes, well, you know, there was this, this a long story. Like, like this is like the real housewives of Israel. This is keeping up with the Jessies. Come on, somebody. This is like... This is like reality TV before reality TV. And so scholars don't know. Scholars don't know if like mama had a little side piece <laughs> or, or if daddy had a little something, something. But somebody had somebody and had a little something, something. You know what I'm saying? So David would write these things like I was conceived in sin. David wasn't talking about his sin nature. He didn't understand the reality of the gospel. He was talking about his own birth. There's, there's other Psalms where he'll talk about how he was the talk of the town. That as he walks the streets, people point at him and talk about his appearance. What was that? It was how he looked. In other words, you don't look like your brothers. You don't look like, what, what's up with you? David was hated by his brothers. David was forgotten by his father. When Samuel went to anoint the sons, Jesse never even called upon David because he never even thought about David because he didn't love David. Here's why all this is important. Because when David looked at Goliath, he could have said, oh man, here's, an, here's another fight. Here's another struggle. I mean, now it's Goliath. It was, it was just the bear. Before that, it was the lion. Before that, daddy don't love me and my brothers hate me and, and I don't even look like the rest of my family and everyone's talking about me. And, and David could have looked back over his life and said, I'm a victim. He could have had a victim mentality. But instead, he said, I've got a miracle memory. So instead, he looked back and went, I was conceived in sin, but I'm still here. I don't look like my brothers, but I'm, I'm still here. Daddy don't think that much of me, but I'm, I'm still here. I had to fight lions, but I'm still here. I had to deal with bears, but I'm still here. I've gone through hell and back, but look at the faithfulness of God. I'm still alive. I'm still praising God. I'm still breathing, and you're going to have to make the choice. Am I going to be the victim, or am I going to be a walking, talking miracle? Now, let me tell you why this is important, because one of the definitions or one of the, the descriptions of the devil in the Bible is the accuser. Revelation 12.10, the accuser of our brethren who accused the people of God, who accused them before our God day and night. Listen, the enemy is constantly accusing us to God and telling God how guilty we are. But he also knows that really isn't going to work because if the enemy goes to the father and says, hey, Jabin's jacked up, he's a mess, he's a sinner, he, da, 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 da. he can say all that he wants and God will go, yeah, but he's covered by the blood, he's good. <laughs> yeah. 
So the enemy knows that isn't really going to work. So not only does the enemy accuse me to God, but the enemy accuses God to me. He, he, he tries to get me to question who God is. Did he not do that at the very beginning when he went up to Adam and Eve and said, so is, did God really say that? Did God really say? And today the enemy still comes to God's people and says, is God really faithful? Does God really love you? Does God really care about your future? Is God really going to help you? Does God really care? Does God really love you? And he'll say things like, this is for everybody on your road, but it's not for you. This is for everybody else, but it's not for you. This is for Jabin because he's a preacher, but it's not for you. And the enemy is still doing the same thing. The enemy is constantly reminding you of your own sin and your own failure, but he's also reminding you of your own disappointment that you privately and secretly have with your God. And we all got them, by the way, so don't even trip. We do, because every one of us had expectations that are unfulfilled, and the enemy jumps all over that and says, see, God didn't come through. God didn't help you. God didn't do it. It didn't happen like it was supposed to happen. So the enemy is constantly accusing. The enemy is constantly talking, and here is why the Bible is full of these kind of statements. Remember the Lord. Do not forget the Lord. Meditate on the Lord. Praise the Lord. What is praise? Praise is celebrating what God has already done in our life. There are the commands of God constantly to remember the Lord. Remind yourself of the Lord's faithfulness. Praise the Lord. Meditate on the Lord. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. Do not forget his benefits. Do not forget his faithfulness. That's on us. See, the enemy's going to constantly remind you of your failures and disappointments. But it's on you to remind yourself of how good God has been and how faithful he has been. You have to forget not. Why did God set it up this way? Because one of the greatest acts of praise for the people of God is to take a moment when you're going through hail and you want to complain, you want to quit, and you want to give up, but instead you choose to look back and go, oh, but my God has been too good to me. My God has been too faithful to me. My God has been too awesome. My God has been too patient. I ain't giving up now. And the enemy's loud, and he don't stop. And that's why we have to be loud and not stop. Oh, man, you know, I'm always pulling on y'all. You know, come on, let's shout. Come on, say amen. Come on, praise the Lord. Come on, clap your hands. And you know what happens pretty much every Sunday? I go home and I lay in bed and the devil goes, hey, buddy, pretty hyped up, huh? Pretty rowdy, huh? You know, you're scaring all the new people. You know, it's a little too, it's a little too intense. No one really understands what you're doing. You're a little, you're a little crazy. You need to calm down. You need to stop telling people to sing and to shout and to, and to praise the Lord. And, 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 I, and, and, I'll, and I'll go to bed on a Sunday night going, oh, man, I was too radical. I was too Pentecostal. I was too, I was too crazy. I had too much coffee. Oh, you know, and I beat myself up. And I was beating myself up last Sunday night. And then Monday morning we woke up and my wife and I went to a night's game. And we walk in, and this big old helmet comes from the ceiling. I don't know if y'all been. If you've never been to a Knights game, go sell your car or something and go to, go to a game. They're awesome. 
Go pawn your wedding ring. I don't know what it's going to take. They're expensive, but you got to go to a game. And this big, old, this big old helmet comes down. And all of a sudden, the bass in the whole room, the subs begin to... And you feel your small intestine wanting to shake right out of your own body. And the subs hit. And we were with a 72- and 70-year-old couple. And they're dripping with Golden Knights gear, head to toe. And as they start going out, this couple in our church, 70, 72, they start going, let's go, Knights, go, Knights, go. It's nighttime. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, turn up. And then if the room ever gets quiet, the, the slides hit the screen. It's too quiet. It's too quiet. And all of a sudden, these drummers in the corner, I don't know if you've ever seen it. And before you know it, people are freaking out. People are cheering beer. Beer's flying everywhere. French fries are ah, falling like confetti. People are freaking out. Be louder. There's hype men running around the whole stadium shouting at people. Be louder. Cheerleaders are waving pom-poms. And all of a sudden I went, we suck. We're too quiet. We're too reserved. And what's funny is, what's funny is you come into church and you go, oh, preacher, preacher, it's not my personality. But all you white people go to these night's games. Bill, Brad, Stuart, and y'all hyped. Let's go! And then you come in here, sing a little louder. Sing a l- I liked when Jabin was singing that Negro spiritual. That was powerful. <laughs> Why don't we bring some of that intensity to the house of God? Because listen, the devil's loud, y'all. The devil's shouting, y'all. But the church has to get a shout that's louder than the enemy. I'm talking about the praises of God that shake the earth. I, and listen, I'm as hyped as anybody at that game. But I'm not going to be louder for things that don't matter than for the things that really matter. I refuse for City Light to get cute and bougie in their praise and worship. I want ghetto praise. I want hood rat praise. I want undignified praise. I want women to have to take out earrings kind of praise. I want that kind of worship. I want people to have to put on sweats before they come to church because they know they're gonna get with it tonight. And I'm, and I'm kind of making light of it, but I'm also talking about there is power when the people of God worship. And by the way, by the way, by the way, because we always want new people to come. A new person who's never been to church, they don't know dead praise to living praise anyway. So we might as well turn it up. Because if, if, if new people walk in here and we're just, they're going to go, yeah, that's what I thought church was. Dead, boring irrelevant to my life, not supernatural, 
just good people trying to do a good thing on a Sunday. But if, if lost people walk in here and this place is being shaken by the Holy Ghost and power and the praises of God's people, something in them is going to go. Am I telling the truth? Last week I was preaching about Noah and I was talking about doing something ridiculous to see the miraculous. There's a new guy in our church, a friend of mine, and he came in and after church he talked to his friend and he goes, so who is, who's, who's Noah? What was Jabin talking about? He has a friend who built a boat? <laughs> he had no idea. He had no idea about Noah's ark. But he knows what he feels when he comes to God's house. And it isn't cold, dead religion. It's the fire of the Holy Ghost that does something on the inside. Oh, friend, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not here to answer every question. I'm not here to be just so sweet and relevant to, oh, I don't want to, no, 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 no. Because people don't understand it anyway, so we might as well have the presence of God in the house, unashamed of the presence of God and of the name of Jesus, so that new people and people who don't know God yet can at least come in and go, it feels different. And while the religious people go, it's too loud. Lost people come in and go, oh, there's a vibe in here. Yes. It's a vibe. That was my one relevant phrase for the night. You're only getting one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Learn on Instagram. Oh, friend, the enemy's loud. And it's going to take the praises of God to drown out. And I said this today that the praises, your praise protects you. Your praise protects you from a victim mentality. My praise protects me from a victim mentality. I'm so grateful for all God has done that I can't just keep nursing and rehearsing every wrong thing that's ever happened. I'm too grateful for his faithfulness and his, his, my, my praise that I lift up to God, it protects me from becoming a victim. And listen, I understand that we've been victimized. Please understand this. We could all tell our own story of pain. Hundreds of people have been in this church all day today. We all have a story. We could all share our story, but listen, if you don't choose to turn that into praise, the enemy will just keep rehearsing it in your heart. And that one moment of pain becomes your life story. But the moment you reject a victim mentality and you take on a miracle memory, you then take that moment. You share it with the world. It becomes a part of your testimony, not your whole story, but a part of your story. And now the very thing the enemy used against you, you now use against the enemy. And what was so damaging for a moment now becomes damaging against the kingdom of darkness because you now tell your story of how God faithfully brought you out of that pain and out of that moment. And the enemy will live with the regret of ever attacking you because you used it for the glory of God. Come on, can you say amen, everybody? I, I'm preaching too long, but am I helping you? To have a... A miracle memory number two, you must remember your covenant. Must remember your covenant. David said in verse 36, who is this pagan Philistine 
But here's what's amazing about that. That's, it's pagan. It, the word pagan is, is used here in the NLT. The NLT is kind of like the, the rated G Bible. You know, it's like, the, it's like the cute Bible. It's written in modern English. And it's like how we talk today. I, I preach out of the NLT and that's what I read. And it's good for us because it's real modern. But the actual word, and you'll find it in the old King James with the these and the thous and all that kind of stuff, is actually uncircumcised Philistine. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like, yo, David, why, why'd you have to go there? Like, y'all know that person that is telling really good jokes, but then they tell one too many jokes, and the last joke they tell is like, ooh. <laughs> they start telling good stories, and it's fire, but then they kind of start running out of stories, so they got to tell another story, and you're like, oh, why'd you got to tell that? Uh, why you got to cross the line like that, homie? That's kind of like where David's at. If you could just imagine, he's like, I fought the lion. Let's go. I fought the bear. Turn up. Who is this uncircumcised? Whoa. <laughs> Why you got to talk about that, homie? <laughs> like a your mama joke would have worked. <laughs> well, David wasn't saying this to insult Goliath. David was reminding himself and he was reminding the armies of Israel that Goliath did not have a covenant with God because the Jewish people, their outward sign of the covenant they had with the Almighty God was circumcision. Now, good news for people in 2019, believers in Jesus Christ, the sign of your covenant with God in the New Testament is water baptism. And all the men said, hallelujah. Okay, because that would be an awkward altar call. That's a, that's a bad day in church. We got Covenant Sunday coming up. Oh, nobody showed up. Oh, I wonder why. So, the, so, the, so for all y'all that don't want to get water baptized, y'all need to get water baptized, okay? This is easy, okay? This is easy compared to the Old Testament, okay? And so here's what David was saying. David was saying, I have a covenant with the Almighty God. I have the advantage over Goliath because Goliath doesn't have a covenant. I had the advantage over the lion, the bear, and the, and the giant because I have a covenant with God and they don't. I'm, I'm the covenant person of God. I am connected to the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so I have the advantage. Now, in the natural, I do not have the advantage, but in the spirit, I always have the advantage because I have a covenant with the Almighty God that this giant does not have. And can I remind you, the devil does not have a covenant with God. Your enemy does not have a covenant with God. The thing that's coming against you and your family does not have a covenant with God. So you automatically have the advantage because you have a covenant. Look what God said in Psalm 89, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. <laughs> just leave it up. God won't break it. He just, won't, he just doesn't change his mind about his covenant. He won't take back. He won't change his mind. 
about the promise that he's given over your life. And so we stand in confidence knowing that we have a covenant with a covenant-keeping God. And by the way, friend, we have a covenant with God. When Jesus on the cross cut covenant with us. Maybe you've heard that phrase, to cut covenant, because every covenant must be sealed in blood. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus cut in his hands and in his feet, and a sword went in his side, and a whip hit his back, and his beard was plucked out, and there was a crown of thorns on his head, and Jesus cut covenant with us on the cross and so we stand in confidence today not because we made a covenant with Jesus because how many know we break that thing all the time oh but because he made a covenant with us and he said I won't take it back so look what he said in Luke 22 verse 20 likewise he also took the cup after And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which I shed for you. That's why we receive communion. That's why we're going to receive communion on Wednesday night, because it reminds us of the covenant God made with us. It gives us confidence and security that we have a covenant with Almighty God. And therefore, we always have the advantage over anything that might come our way. Because it's not on us, it's on him. He did all the heavy lifting. The Bible said it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not by works that any man could boast. Listen, this has all been done by Jesus. And all you have to do is say yes to that covenant. And the moment you enter into that covenant, you no longer have to feel the pressure and the weight of carrying this thing on your own. But you now trust the finished work of Jesus. Christ. Can I get an amen, somebody? Listen, you got to remember your covenant. You got to remember your covenant. Lastly, number three, to have a miracle memory, you have to remember what God started. Jorge, come on up. You have to remember what God started. Remember what God started. David said in Psalm 23, verse 5, you anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. 1 Samuel chapter 16 Samuel anoints David to be the king. Samuel anoints a 17-year-old teenager to become king of Israel. But we're now in chapter 17, and David isn't king yet. So a promise has begun, but it is not fulfilled. Now, Psalm 23 Theologians argue, they don't know exactly when it was written, but they know it was written in the context of his fight with Goliath. So some men believe that he would have written it the night before the fight. Some men believe it would have spontaneously come out of his spirit in the valley of the shadow of death as he's literally walking towards that Goliath. And some people believe after the victory, David would have written Psalm 23 as a song of praise to his God. It doesn't really matter. Psalm 23 was written in the context of fighting Goliath. Here's why that's important. Because as he's walking towards the giant, he knows that he knows that he knows that God began something in him and God wasn't done with him yet. So it gave him confidence in the middle. See, he was anointed to be king in 16. But it was in 17 that he had to go through training 
in order to become king. And a lot of people want the anointing and the throne, and they don't want the middle. Jabin, I would like to be anointed by God, and I would like authority from God. I just don't want the valley of the shadow of death. Sorry doesn't work that way. And so we want, we want power without pain. We want anointing without crushing. We want mountaintops without valley lows. We want thrones without Goliaths. But the only thing that pulled the king out of David was a giant. But it was also the anointing that protected him. So David starts walking towards Goliath. And he could smell the oil. And his shoulders came back. And his back straightened up. And a smirk hit his face. And he said, God, I ain't going out like this. This is not the end of my story. Because I still smell the anointing oil. How could he smell it? Because see, in today's world, we do. Can I see that not yet below you? In today's world, when we anoint people with oil, we want to be super sensitive about, you know, either your hair or your clothes or whatever, your makeup, whatever. So we kind of just do a little bit of oil and it's real sweet, you know, in the name of Jesus, God bless you, you know. And that's what we're going to do on Wednesday night because, you know, we don't want to freak anybody out. But in Bible days, it was called the horn of oil. And this thing was leaders and leaders of oil. And when they anointed somebody, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a, 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 a deluge of oil. And it covered you from the, literally from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You were dripping with this thing. And it stayed on you for weeks. And so David is walking up to Goliath and he can, he can smell the cinnamon of the anointing oil. He can smell the myrrh of the anointing oil. He can smell the cassia in the anointing oil because the anointing oil had five ingredients and that's a whole message in itself and I can't go there right now. But he could, he could smell the bitter olive oil on his face and he could, he could feel the grease that was still in his hair and he could, he could feel that his skin was still glowing. And he knew that he was not going to die that day. That's why, that's why I call this message an opportunity, not a death sentence, because David knew this was not the end for him. It was simply the middle for him. And he knew he wasn't going to die that day because God had already promised him to be king. And he wasn't king yet, so it wasn't his time yet. And friend, you can walk into any situation and go, this ain't my time yet to die because he's anointed my head with oil. He gave me a promise. He gave my family a promise. He gave my children a promise. And so I stand in the confidence of... I smell the oil. <laughs> David knew he wasn't going to die that day. David knew he was anointed for that day. Can I remind somebody, you are anointed for 2019. You are anointed for this next season. You are anointed for this next opportunity that God's about to give you. You're anointed. Parents, whenever your teenager gives you attitude, let me just remind you, you are anointed for that 16-year-old. You are anointed for that 12-year-old. You are anointed for those issues. You are anointed for this season. You are anointed for that job. You are anointed for this moment. Don't you dare give up on it. Don't you dare give up in it. Don't you dare quit right now. There's an anointing that started at the top of your head. It's going to go all the way to the soles of your feet. Please don't quit now. 
you're anointed for this moment. Can you look at someone around you, just kind of elbow them or high-five them or something. Tell them, I'm anointed. Tell them, tell them, I'm anointed for this. Tell someone else, say, I'm anointed for this. I'm anointed for this. Now encourage someone. Tell somebody else, you are anointed for this. You are anointed for this season. You are anointed for this moment. You are anointed for this time. And I know there's enemies all around you. Oh, but the Bible said he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. This is not a time to quit. This is a time for overflow. This is a time for abundance. This is a time for promotion. This is a time to see the greatest things you've ever seen in your life, my cup runneth over. That's why we can say our best days are still in front of us. How can I say that? How can we say that? How can we say the best is yet to come? How can we say our path is getting brighter and brighter? Here's why I can say it, because I can smell the oil. <laughs> because I remember what God started in me. But I know I'm not at my completion yet. So I'm going to stay faithful right here in the middle. Because I was anointed for that season. I'm anointed for this season. And I will be anointed for the next season. Because he anoints my head with oil. He's so faithful. Remember what God started. And don't give up when you're in the middle of the miracle. Don't give up when you're in the middle of the promotion. Don't give up when you're in the middle of the process. Don't give up when you're in the middle of the elevation. You're going higher. It doesn't always feel that way, but you're going higher. If you won't quit. If you won't quit. I got a miracle memory. I refuse to be a victim. I refuse to let one season of pain define my future. I have a miracle memory. God's been too good to me to give him anything less than all of my praise. And he's been good to you too. Life perfect? Never. Life always easy? No. Life had some challenges you weren't expecting? Yeah. Had to deal with a lion or two? <laughs> a bear or two? Yeah. Some Goliaths along the way? Yeah. But I've actually come out on the other side of it. And I'm better because of it. So are you. Why, Jabin? Because eventually you're going to look at someone eye to eye who's going through hell. And you're going to say, I've dealt with that lion before too. I remember that bear. I had to go through that too. Oh, that Goliath, oh, our marriage faced it too. Oh man, that, that struggle, oh man, our children walked through it too. 
but we came out on the other side. And what God did for us, he's going to do for you. Because the covenant that he gives, he doesn't take back. And your story becomes oxygen to the soul of the hearer. I could not lead you the way I'm leading you if I wasn't hurt the way I was hurt. I couldn't love you the way I love you if I wasn't cut the way I was cut. I couldn't sit with people for hours at a time and listen to their story if I wasn't misunderstood the way I was misunderstood. I couldn't fight for people the way I can fight for people if I wasn't given up on. And so I refuse to be a victim of what someone did to me or people did to me or many people did to me. I hated it when I was going through it, but on the other side, I'm actually grateful. Because now I can love people a way that I would have never been able to love people. I'd have just been a really loud preacher and a good singer. Can't be false humble, Tom. I gotta keep it real. But I'd have been a crappy pastor. I'd have sucked at being a pastor. Thank you. I didn't wasn't asking for that, but thanks. But I can fight for people now because I know what it feels like to not be fought for. So I had to fight my lion, I had to fight my bear, but I refused to be, I refused to walk around poor me. I don't live that way. My wife and I don't live that way. Because we saw God's hand in it. We saw God orchestrating. And we saw God setting up. And now we come out on the other side and we're so much bigger and better. Because we refuse to let seasons of pain stop us and define us. We learned, we forgave, and we kept moving. God will do the same for you. Just don't let the devil write your story. I don't know who I'm talking to. Don't let the devil write your story. Don't let the devil tell you when the story's over. He's not the author of your story. He's the author of confusion. He's not the author of your story. So you don't let to get him defined. You don't let him you don't let to get, he doesn't get to define what that season did to you. He doesn't get to define what that person did to you. He doesn't get to define what that moment of sickness did to you. He doesn't let to, to he, you don't, he doesn't get to define what that, what that trial did to you. He doesn't get to be the author. Jesus, the author and finisher 
of my faith. Hebrews 12.1. Devil, you're not going to write my story. Jesus is writing my story. And I'm right there with him. And we're going to do this together. And devil, I refuse to let you be an editor, a publisher, or a ghostwriter in the book of my life. In Jesus' name. Am I helping anybody tonight? I dare you to give God praise if I'm preaching to you tonight. Come on, thank him tonight. Oh, come on, give God a shout of praise tonight. I feel good about that what I just talked about for you I just feel like I just helped somebody <laughs> no but I'm for real this will really help you I'm done I keep talking I got the spirit of talk on me right now I gotta quit father thank you that you're writing our story we reject refuse and renounce a victim mentality and we receive a miracle memory in the name of Jesus